Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. I am thrilled today to have a special guest from the absolute other side of Canada, well, almost the other end, Dr. Jules Cormier, who's with me today. Hi, Dr. Hello. Jules. Hello. Good to have Thanks you. We've, we've tried to, uh, to do this for many months. We met in the um, plant-based nutrition certificate program of the University of Guelph, which we have both just finished, I think. Is that right? Well, I finished in the August of last year, actually. Oh. I streamlined it and combined course together. So I finished a little bit before. Yeah. You powered through. Love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have been practicing medicine since 2007, and you also teach at your uh, local medical school. You have a family medicine practice. You're calling in from your office right now. And we're going to talk about that because I hear that six of your 16 colleagues, um, well, including yourself, are now eating a plant-based lunch. I find it awesome. And uh, you also have a busy skin surgery clinic. You're passionate about fitness. I have seen you practicing in a World Ninja Championship in Las Vegas recently. I wasn't there in person, but I've seen the footage and it's really awesome. Thanks. We're going to talk about how you adopted a uh, plant-based diet after having been diagnosed with severe cholinergic angioedema, which sounds like a really awful thing, and you're going to learn all about it today. It's a debilitating condition causing anaphylactic-like symptoms and swelling. Basically, it sucks. And you have managed, which is an awesome, awesome story to hear, to reverse this condition with lifestyle better habits and plant-based nutrition. So it will be a fantastic conversation. If ever you don't get to the end and you don't hear this, you have to know that you can connect with him at plantbaseddrjules.com. The address is going to be at the bottom of um, the podcast and everywhere you can listen to this. And you can um, connect with a lot of his content there. And there I hear there's a course coming up and maybe even a podcast. So you're not going to want to miss this. Phew. All right. Oh, this is so much. <laughs> it's awesome to have you today. So I'd like to start by just asking you about your story and how how this all came together for you. Well, my story started um, after my fourth episode of cholinergic angioedema. That's basically a condition where my face, eyes, throat, mouth, everything kind of swells up almost like a the same type of reaction you would have in anaphylaxis or so reaction similar to people who are allergic to seafood or peanuts and, and, and consume them. Uh, the cholinergic part means that it's triggered by changes in temperature or pressure. Uh, my episodes always ha happen during exercise. So uh, my fourth episode really made me reflect because it, it put me in a hospital. Um, it was my most severe episode yet. And uh, I was a doctor at the time, so I knew exactly what was going on, recognized the symptoms. They were not going away with my medication and my puffers and my, my, my antihistamines. So after having the scare of my life at the hospital, clearly I, I survived. I am still here and thriving. But it put me on a path of reflecting um, about my, just my health in general, because I, I did at the time consider myself to be a healthy eater. Uh, I was super active. Really the tables turned when I had my first daughter, Zara, um, in 2012. I was already reflecting, but then my daughter got diagnosed with asthma and had hives. And um, her first asthma attack um, kind of changed everything for me. And I'll rewind maybe a good six months because before she had her asthma attack, she actually got diagnosed with a milk protein allergy. So blood in her stools, uh, diaper rash, hives. Basically, we saw a dietitian that suggested that maybe her symptoms of asthma and eczema uh, and all the other conditions she had, which were pretty much identical to her father, <laughs> uh, may be associated with dairy. So that put us on a, on a path of starting to kind of reduce the amount of dairy in our diets. And surprising to everyone, her symptoms got better and mine almost uh, went away within a few months. That's so that, amazing. 
We saw a very, very quick improvement in my symptoms. I started reading up on the literature, kind of trying to see if there's any link between lifestyle and asthma and eczema and allergies and all that family of atopic conditions, which are allergic conditions. And surprising to me, I had met dermatologists and allergy specialists and doctors, and no one had ever suggested that my symptoms or those of my daughter were related to nutrition. But uh, I kind of basically did devoted my life to uh, learning more about it and more the deeper i dived into it the more i saw that there was a huge amount of scientific research around nutrition and around chronic disease and that pointed me towards plant-based diets i transitioned within about a month and a, a year and a half about 18 months that it took me from going to from zero to hero and uh i've never had a hive since i've dropped my puffers i don't have any chronic migraines or reflux anymore i my asthma is gone i went from running a 5k with my blue puffer to running <laughs> uh sub two hour half marathons without even using puffers at all so um my life changed drastically after i switched to a, a almost 100 whole food plant-based diet and um, now my whole family <laughs> eats that way. And it's become a lot bigger in terms of kind of eating for other, now I eat not just for health, but for ethical reasons as well and for the planet. And so that, that one thing led to another and, and it became a huge passion of mine. I find this so amazing. And I have a pet project of mine as a former sociologist to understand what it is about medical education and the, the medical profession that is so stubbornly disconnected. I mean, I, I, I think it's changing um, because of individual physicians probably that are discovering this, but I'd like to have your insight um, as you've experienced it yourself about, you know, I never learned about that as you were saying, even talking with dermatologists. I remember being a teenager, you know, you would read in the teenage girly magazines, oh, asthma has nothing to do with what, not asthma, um, acne has nothing to do with what you eat and all those things. And as you say, the literature is there. What's, what's going on? And how did you manage your way through this? Yeah. So that's a great question. If I could go back to maybe 2007, when I started teaching at the medical school, I was actually asked to teach a lifestyle course. So the lifestyle course was kind of introduction to nutrition and uh, exercise and fitness and how lifestyle can impact your no smoking. Yeah, you know. exactly. And I think uh, people chose me because they knew I was pretty active and, and kind of uh, <laughs> prioritize my health and lifestyle. Um, but it was funny because I was like, I never learned about that in medical school. And I, I was learning as I was reading the course syllabus and in kind of getting informed on things that I'm, I was going to be teaching to medical students. Um, so it, for, for me, it was so crazy that we're so overwhelmed managing chronic disease that we, do, we don't allocate any resources to acting before they happen, right? And I really do believe that once people are made aware of the data, they, they kind of do prioritize that. I'll give you an example. For the last 10 years that I've been plant-based, I've been very vocal. Um, just so happens I have a privileged uh, role where I teach to medical students. 85% of doctors in New Brunswick will pass through our teaching clinic where I'm sitting right now. I, I'm supervising interns, medical students uh, for two years of their uh, residency program in family medicine. And I do know that I'm going to talk about lifestyle. I'm going to talk about prevention. And I, and I, I do know that doctor, a lot of doctors, when they read the data, they're convinced and then they act. But it's just we don't learn how to interpret nutritional research in medical school. And I mean, maybe get five hours of training in nutrition uh, on, a, on an eight year program. It's, and it's, it's not insane. on the exam. So it's, oh, it's not, not exactly the, the top priority, you know? It's... No, I mean, and they're like, like everywhere. There are very unhealthy doctors where, which with very poor lifestyles. And, um, but I do feel like it's changing. 
because 10 years ago when I switched to a plant-based diet, um, I really felt like an outlier. Now we're in 2023 and I've been given a platform where I can actually, I've been giving, given hours where I'm teaching these, these things to medical students. So the, oh. the staff and the admin, people are getting, are open to talking about it, but it's all about how we approach it, right? Because you have to walk on eggshells at the beginning, <laughs> because if people think you want to convince them to go full plant or, or vegan for ethical reasons, people shy away from that, right? And food is a very, very personal experience. So when you start talking about uh, changing the way people eat, they really feel like you're, you're prying into their personal life. And there's usually quite a bit of resistance there. But uh, I've, I've, I have time and I have patience. And I'm going to kind of keep speaking my, my message, uh, hoping that more and more people will listen. And I, I, know, I know it's happening. It's just happening slowly, but I know it's happening. I mean, it's huge. And I, you know, you said you started as an outlier, but I, I see now that you might more be a, in the, in a, I have a hard time saying this word in English, a beacon, you know, a beacon, you know, a shining light that other people are like, yeah, I wish I did that, but, and, and they might have a lot of excuses or reasons not to do it. But I do feel that change a little bit and not everywhere, but at least some community, but your, your story really gives me a lot of hope that it's happening. Absolutely. And you just lit a light bulb in me. One of the big moments in my whole transition is one of my good friends who actually uh, works in marketing and, and for a big company told me, he looked me in the eye and he said, don't tell them what to do, show them what to do. So I, I was like, oh my God, if you, can, if you can share your experience and share your medical conditions practically going away within a year of, of changing your diet. And that brought my training and my athletic performance uh, where I succeeded in the last few years. I think it just serves as, a, as a, an example where it is possible to completely turn your life around. And my story uh, is just an anecdote, but there are a lot of anecdotes just like mine in the scientific literature now. And I think people are finally kind of waking up to that. That's Fantastic. We'll go back to your athletic endeavors in just a moment, but I'd like to learn more about how you work with your patients in the clinic, what, what kind of work you do and how you weave your knowledge and uh, experience, personal experience of lifestyle medicine into that. Well, I have a few days per week where I'm doing skin surgery, so a lumps and bumps clinic. So that's not where I typically dive deep into a lifestyle medicine. But the other three days of my, my week, seeing patients in the clinic and teaching interns. Obviously, I'm seeing chronic diseases daily, uh, diabetes, cholesterol, hypertension, uh, people who smoke, people who are obese. I really feel like at the beginning, 10 years ago, when I, st when I really started being vocal with my patients about nutrition, um, I was kind of testing the waters to see what types of messaging would people respond to. And I did notice that maybe I was a little bit too pushy at the beginning, trying to have people move in the right direction. And I learned that through smoking. I'll give you an example. When you're trying to tell a patient to stop smoking, if he's in a pre-contemplation phase where he's not even reflecting on the possible dangers, it's, it, you have to adapt your intervention to where he's, he is on the process of change spectrum. And I just applied that knowledge to nutrition, right? And for a lot of people is choosing the behavior change that will create the less friction with their lives. Because when people, you talk them to talk to them about changing their diet, it affects their social life. It affects their outings at the restaurant this weekend. Uh, what about cake during my birthday? They see, they see nutrition changing as losing a lot of things instead of gaining health, right? So I think the most important thing is small swaps. Now I, uh, I'm like, oh, what's your typical breakfast? Well, I eat uh, two toasts with uh, butter uh, with a glass of milk. Well, would you consider brown bread and white whole wheat bread instead of white bread? And well, that was easy. Yeah, I made the change. They come in a few months after uh, once or twice a week. Could you maybe add some oatmeal instead of 
bacon and eggs every day. So it just starts uh, slowly and people build confidence and then they kind of build up slowly. But I'll be honest, a lot of people, uh, st still I'd say 75% of people are not contemplating change and they're not really open to changing. So I just kind of keep the door open. I send them to my website. There's a lot of resources there and I could never devote that much time in talking about lifestyle when I'm seeing a patient every 15 minutes. I mean, but, well, that's the sad part about being a family doctor. We have so much to evaluate in, in putting out the fires that we don't have time preventing them from, from, from starting, right? Is there a way that you're able to work with people who might be more, you know, yeah, okay, I, hey, doctor, you know, I've seen that you're eating this way and do you think it would help for me? What do you do in those cases? Well, the fun part is that uh, over the last decade, my social media presence has grown uh, considerably locally in my small community. So um, a lot of people that who come to me already fall, all of many of my patients already follow me online, either on my Instagram or my Facebook, or they've been off my website, or they've seen my podcast. Or So uh, I find that now a lot of people are bringing it, bringing it up by themselves. I'm not the one trying to convince them to change. They're already here, kind of already triage for me. I'm ready. Can you give me some tips? Uh, that's where I thrive when people are ready <laughs> to move ahead. You're ready uh, to pounce. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll skip my lunch break to be able to talk to these patients, right? And the fun part is now it's like I'll send them to my website. I'll give you an example. Someone came unwilling to change. I say, well, if ever you're curious, and he didn't want to change, but he didn't want to take medication, right? So I'm like, well, if you really want to avoid medication, go read this article I posted on my blog about low cholesterol but that's not me telling you to go plant-based that's me just saying go visit my website he'll kind of window shop on my website around look around and see oh wow world championships oh wow i can reduce my cholesterol by 30 percent with food oh my god uh, there's something here for cancer i have a friend that have cancer right so i think that just bringing these people to the website typically will create a certain type of openness And I do think that um, you have to practice what you preach, right? Uh, people, I, I try to lead by example, and I think that people see what I've done with my own help. And the patients that I've had, I've had them for 15 years. There is a, a confidence there in a relationship that's been built. So I do think that my, my tips and tricks, people, my patients do take them seriously. I think what you've, You've lit a light bulb for me when you say don't want to take meds. I think it's a very powerful moment for a lot of people when they get told, well, you know, whatever, your blood pressure is high or you've got indicators of diabetes that are, you know, starting to show up. So the next step will be meds. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of the line in the sand that they don't want to go over. And I think, you know, if you asked me, many years ago. I, I, I don't know if you've heard my story before, but the thing that happened to me was I was a bike commuter and somebody told me in some online forum, you know, um, well, if you're fueling your bike riding with stakes, you might as well be riding, driving a Hummer. Hmm. Right? And I know on the spur of the moment, my reaction was not like, oh, sure, I'm going to have beans for dinner. <laughs> you yeah. know, like my reaction would have been defensive, just like yeah. to say, you know, I don't want to change. But then it seeps true, and depending how dense you know your your traditions and attachment to your current practices is, it seeps in slower or faster. But then I think, yeah, people can get you've planted a seed. And I'm I'm from a fishing fishing town, fishing village where I worked in um, fish marts and fish processing plants when I was a student. So telling people here to go plant-based is really unconventional. It's not, it's, it's uncultural, but I've learned to put food, I put food on a spectrum for people. On this side of the spectrum, you have ultra processed foods. And on this side of the spectrum, you have whole plants. And here, how, here's how processed meats, red meats, white meat, um, dairy, fish and eggs fit on the spectrum. And the goal is just to move towards the right side slowly but surely. So you're not telling them to 
cut out certain foods. I'm telling them to add more of the healthy ones on this side of the spectrum. They kind of naturally crowd out the bad ones, right? And I think that then people understand that they have control over what they add as just as long as foods are on the right side of the spectrum. Whereas if I'm telling them what to cut or what to remove, there's a little of, of that reaction. People get defensive, right? And I do understand that I was like that before I was forced into an aha moment with my conditions and my kids' conditions. That kind of forced me to reevaluate. But I would not say that I was open to change before being hooked up to an IV. I already had had conditions for a long time in three angioedema episodes before that, and it never even crossed my mind. Um, literally, it was a dietitian while I was sitting there talking about my daughter's allergies who said, maybe he's going to help you as well if you, ch and then everything clicked. So I was ready to receive that message. A few years before, someone would have said the same thing. I would have maybe been closed off. So it's, it's opportunity meeting preparedness. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Tell me, I can hear some um, very convinced health activists. And you say, you know, at the beginning that you were maybe a little more pushy about it. And I think that's the same for every new vegan on the planet when you've just opened your eyes and you're like, holy smokes, this is amazing. How come doesn't everybody know about this, right? And, yeah, and, and I get it. And I can hear um, a voice like that on even just the health side of it, not the ethical aspect, saying, well, what's it going to change if the guy is using whole grain bread instead of white bread? You know, is that really enough, that little nudge to make a difference? What would you say to them? I'd say health health will compound positively or negatively just like money will. It's small behaviors that are sustained for lengths and lengths and lengths of time. And when you look at the studies and the actual literature, the benefits are dose dependent. Just having a few grams of fiber per day more reduces your risks. So it's not you have to make it to 75 or 85% of your calories uh, from plants. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Right. It is really in terms of increasing or, or increasing uh, health or reducing disease risk. It's really a spectrum. Right. So every little bit helps. And it's finding that little bit that people are willing to change. Some people will look at me and said, I'm not eating whole wheat bread. I hate whole wheat bread. Well, then that's not the right one to change for you. There is something else. Someone will say, well, I'll, I'll eat quick oats instead of eating uh, ultra-processed cereal, that's not a big change for me. I'll do that. Or I won't switch my quick oats for whole oats, but I will add chia to them, right? So is that's why it takes so much time to figure out it has to be personalized, right? If someone is disgusted by a certain food, uh, who am I to tell them to eat more of that, right? So it's really a conversation on which of these foods on the right side of the spectrum which you have minimal friction with introducing to your life. And sometimes it's hiding them in smoothies or sometimes it's hiding them in a, in a stew. And sometimes it, I'll give you an example. At the beginning, we were doing half milk and half soy milk just to try. And then we can kind of transition. A lot of people will go 100% overnight and... That's awesome. But I mean, the science says that most people have to inch their way closer to their goals. Small incremental changes will add up over time. Uh, and just choosing the, the changes that create minimal friction, right? What do you think are the barriers that people meet other than we've just said, you know, tradition and stuff like that? And what are your best tips? To get over them if they come to you and they're you know they're trying but it's they're having resistance and various mm -hmm. kinds what are the tips for them the, the barriers can be physical psychological uh I'll, I'll start by just people will tell me often i say long i talk about longevity foods and the type of foods that you should be introducing to your diet and legumes and whole grains and one of the first questions i or first comments i get is oh i get bloated when i when i when i have that right i i don't feel well i can't digest chickpeas not knowing that dysbiosis which is kind of an unbalanced microbiome is likely the cause of you not eating chickpeas every 
every type of plant has its own fiber. And if you don't have the bacteria in your gut to digest that fiber, it's going to be tough to digest. Um, but it takes a very, very motivated person to say, I'm going to start by eating a an eighth of a cup of chickpeas and increasing every week. You have to be very motivated if you really want at, at the end of your journey to digest chickpeas. So so very often, there's not really an answer for that. When some say, I don't like legumes or I don't feel well when I digest them, it comes back to starting very low, going very slow. The other thing that people get as a psychological barrier is they perceive the friction that it will cause with their life. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do this, do that, go there in vacation. It's hard. Um, earn during the weekend. I tend to say, well, you can control your environment when you're not at the restaurant when you're with your friends. And it starts with one meal a week. Start by using meals that you already consume and you love and veganize them. So I always give the examples that apply to me. Uh, shepherd's pie for my kids started with, with beef and potatoes and switched over to lentils. But there was a process in the gray zone where there was a mix of both. Um, our stir fries had steak. They didn't go from steak to beans. They went from steak to a little bit of beans to more beans and less steak and then transitioned that way. So I think that People have to try to veganize meals that they already eat. Online recipes are infinitely available. Um, and just kind of making sure that your food landscape doesn't change drastically because that'll definitely create friction. Obviously, that that's what worked for me. Um, a lot of people see that as like a big change where we're going to be able to, I'm going to lose my social life. I'm not going to be able to find anything in the restaurant. I think that once you're convinced that going more plant-based is a goal, we can start tackling what to do when you're vacationing and what to do when you're at the restaurant. But I don't necessarily talk about that uh, because it represents a, a minuscule percentage of, of your time, right? If you can start by changing your breakfast or changing one meal or two a week and have a win and notice that it's really not that complicated in veganizing a meal, building some confidence and kind of moving moving forward. I always want to make sure people recognize that I had a sense of urgency of changing. I really felt connected to the science and to the health reasons, uh, but it took me almost a year and a half to get from standard diet not a, a, a good clean diet that included animal products to a 100% whole food plant-based diet. And I, and I felt like I did it quickly because I was very, very yeah. motivated. So that's where the people that want to go or, or perceive that it, there's a, a timeline that you have to go 100% in three months. Um, it's going to be very hard for a lot of people unless they're very, very super motivated. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for most people most of us it's like uh, the uh, very unfortunate analogy of the frog in the pot of water with the fire lit under it right and the water at first is just like lukewarm and it's okay and whereas some people will have that as we mentioned the line in the sand or a crisis like a heart attack at i don't know at age 38 that tells them like, whoa like that's a mm -hmm. big awakening that might trigger the kind of circumstances where you're ready to make a big change but otherwise it's just your health might be declining just a little bit at a time and you're not you don't have a fire lit in you know behind your butt to and a lot of people don't even recognize that 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 chronic pain in their back or their chronic pain in their knee would be in any way associated to diet so they don't well they think it's just normal aging also i think i have a I have this other podcast, uh, which is in French, that's called La Quarantaine, about living in your 40s. And I've had a few men tell me, and I, I work hard to not say anything about it, but, you know, I play hockey and the young guys are joining the team and the ice is getting bigger, yeah. <laughs> you know, than it used to be. I'm like, well, maybe there's something you can do about it, but yeah. that's that's tricky. Tell me a little bit, if without naming names, I don't want to get into um, the doctor-patient um, confidential agreement there, but have you had the pleasure of seeing success stories, patients that were able to leverage lifestyle, including nutrition, to improve improve their, their numbers, improve their health, improve their lives? Absolutely. 
So my first patient, uh, it's been a while. I, I'm assuming she might be, she might listen to this episode. Um, it was sleep apnea. And for her, there was a certain embarrassment in wearing a CPAP. She had severe sleep apnea. She had to sleep with the, the, the whole mask and the apparatus. And it was kind of an embarrassment for her, but she was overweight and uh, small changes added up over time. She got rid of her uh, CPAP. She got rid of her uh, blood pressure medication. She lost a ton of weight. So she didn't have any sense of urgency, but she really valued her health. Um, I have a patient uh, that had alopecia. So alopecia, uh, basically loss of hair. Um, in spots, high in, in a male spot, or a female? In a male, in a male lost his eyebrows, uh, had hives, had asthma, had reflux. And he's like, he heard my story. He's like, I have the same conditions as you did. He went plant-based. He did it super quick. He's one of my most motivated patients where I know that when I was going to tell him how to do it, he was going to do it like that. And exactly what happened, everything got better. I mean, uh, we're talking about a patient that was I was bombarding with, with prednisone, which is a steroid to treat his asthma and... It's not a nice drug to take just for people who don't know. It's, exactly. it's not a so drug that improves your health, you know, no, other than attacking the symptoms. Term, it, it, it puts out the fire, but kind of it, you have sparks on other conditions that get worse. Your blood, your blood sugar gets worse. Your cholesterol gets worse. You, you have other issues. So, I mean, and now I'd say within the last 10 years, I've probably have at least a good 20 to 25 solid success stories of people going from like reversing conditions and or at least reducing medication. I mean, I'm not trying to convince everyone that everyone's going to have a story like mine where I'm going to get rid of my 16 pills and my puffers and my creams and my nasal sprays and my all my medication. But most people will at least reduce the dosages of their pills, if not the number of their pills. And obviously, where your disease is in terms of uh, chronicity and severity will determine if you're able to reverse it. If you if you already have, have had a, a two strokes and a heart attack, well, I mean, you're not going to reverse blockages likely at that, at that point. But people that intervene very quickly with lifestyle intervention, uh, they can have very impressive uh, outcomes. Tell me a little bit about your colleagues. We were talking before we started recording about the fact that now six of your colleagues want to have, um, you know, a plant-based meal when you eat uh, from outside. How is that working out in your in your clinic in your environment with your peers? So um, when we did the uh, plant-based certification with Guelph University, Doc. Dr. Babin, which is another doctor that I work with here. She was my uh, supervisor when I was an intern. Uh, she was there on the course as well. So she's been plant-based uh, for a long time. She's a, a, a runner, a long-distance runner, and um, pretty much like me, she read the data and just got convinced where the science was pointing and made a pre pretty drastic change. And so it was me and her, I'd say, the first two in the clinic. and. Uh, we have a wide demographic here in terms of, of um, people that are close to retirement and young doctors that are just starting. And I'd say there's a lot of op open-mindedness in the younger generation. It's really impressive where we're ordering plant-based meals for like our, our um, how do you say that? Uh, we have like conference Staff meeting room. kind of thing. Meetings. Yeah. Meetings is the word I'm, I was looking for uh, on at the lunchtime. And I used to just kind of bring my own lunch from home. So not to bother everyone with ordering or ca having catering from an another uh, specific restaurant. Yesterday we had a meeting and I mean, it was rice. It was beans. It was guacamole. It was salsa. It was not. It was not your chicken breast or hamburger or pizza like we did before. And um, now, I mean, we have six people that are ordering plant-based meals and eating plant-based meals. Most of their meals, almost ninety plus percent of the time. Now we're talking about six doctors that are going to be having medical students, having patients. And that's the trickle-down effect that it will have long-term. People trust the information 
of their doctors in general. So if your doctor says uh, eat whole wheat instead of white bread or try to reduce your intake of red meat, for a lot of people, they do take that seriously. Not saying they're going to go vegan, saying that they're maybe going to choose a, a stepping stone food like a Beyond Meat burger instead of a beef burger or at some point eat more fish, dairy and eggs instead of red meat. So I know that it's having an impact and I know for, for, uh, for sure that there's open-mindedness in the younger generation. They're more kind of in tune with the climate and so with the animal, with the animal cruelty part of it, where, whereas I personally started for health, but in not long after that, I really connected with the other causes as well. Right. So I I start try to stay in my lane. I'm a doctor. I'm trained in nutrition and family medicine. I talk about health. I don't talk about ethics too much uh, because you don't know which page. We don't have enough time to evaluate which patients care cares about that. But um, I'd say the younger uh, interns and medical students, they're really open minded to all of that. And and the vegan movement have grown has grown exponentially before I since I started. So everybody who's interested in uh, lifestyle medicine and um, in the context of family practice might find a good place to start in New Brunswick at your clinic. I'm uh, officially advertising it here. (laughs) Let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about your athletic pursuits. I love what you're doing. You're doing parkour. You're doing, I guess it's part of the same thing, ninja. Ninja sports? Is that what it's called? Tell me about all that and how it intersects with the rest of your life. Yeah. So, I I mean, if I I rewind back to my early childhood, I'm the kid who was doing splits and cartwheels and flips off the deck in a snowbank. And so kind of these type of movement patterns always been a part of me. Um, I played mostly sports all my life, competitive badminton and basketball. And my, my, Episodes of cholinergic angioedema actually happened uh, during basketball matches. Um, but I was always active. I have a gym at home and I work out pretty much every day. And when I got the cholinergic angioedema, that really impacted my, my ability to work out because I had hives daily. Uh, every time I worked out, I had hives. What a pain. Even with medication, right? So it was always itchy. And so after my... Um, Kind of my plant-based journey had already happened uh, about in 2018 my older brother said hey jules uh did you see uh it's called american ninja warrior it's a show on television uh that plays on nbc i think it's right down your alley to have a look at that so started watching the show and i was like oh my goodness I'm, I'm, I was already a member at our local uh, rock climbing uh, gym so I was doing that uh, running playing multiple sports and I was like oh it would be so much fun to have that sport around now don't forget I'm from New Brunswick a really remote area where the closest gyms are in Montreal and the surrounding areas so that's about a thousand kilometers away or 600 miles uh, a 10-hour drive from where I, I live then I hear in 2019 that there's a Quebec Ninja League or Ligue Ninja Quebec that's opening up seven gyms. There's going to be a circuit. There's going to be a, a season where everyone's going to compete uh, at all the local gyms and have a final. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I spur of the moment looked at my wife. We had a week off. She said, do you want to drive up and, and try this? So we drove to a gym just to see how it felt. And the owner, who I connected with immediately, said, we have a competition in a few weeks. Would you even consider coming back and competing as the only person from the Maritimes? And it's like, I'll try. I'll try. If you (laughs) reassure me that I'm not going to embarrass myself, I'm going to go. So I competed. And the first, my, my first competition in 2019 and did much better than I thought and really kind of did very good. It's like if you continue competing at the end of the year, points accumulate, you can make the finals. If you have a certain uh, ranking, you can actually qualify for the World Ninja Championships. Now, uh, so I kind of clicked with the sport 
devoted my life to the sport. And after my third competition, the pandemic hit. So we can't cross the borders anymore without quarantining for two weeks. I am a doctor. I cannot afford to put my patients on hold so I can live out this ninja dream of mine. So uh, competitions move ahead. I, I can't compete. We always talked about the, the dream of opening up a gym back home. My wife says, take the money that you would invest in a gym and build one at home. So we took our two, our double garage and we transformed it into a ninja gym where I train daily. And for the pandemic, I, now I can train at an intenser level because my symptoms are not bothering me anymore. My recovery is through the roof. And uh, in last year, I managed to qualify for the World Ninja Championships in Las Vegas, where I competed as a 41-year-old plant-based athlete. And it was the most amazing culmination. And it, for me, it was not just about competing. It was about competing without medication, without asthma, without the fear of having hives or, or ending, up, ending up in a hospital or not even, I didn't even bring my EpiPen with me. That's as confident as I was, maybe a little too confident. Anyways, my wife would say, <laughs> but I competed there, did great. And um, hopefully we'll compete, we'll, we'll qualify again. I have a competition in Montreal in two weeks um, where I'm going to try a to qualify again for the World Ninja Championships that are in Orlando this July, so it's been it's been a big part of my life competing now and training. Uh, I train over an hour per night, almost every night, even on Saturdays, because I love it and I, I enjoy the way it makes me feel. And my my life revolves around plant based teaching, plant based nutrition, and training for the World Championships. As a plant based athlete, did you find uh, were you were you the lone plant-based athlete there? Did you find some companions at the I tofu table? I did not find any companions. And I'm pretty vocal about being plant-based, um, well, online and in general. So I'm sure that if there were another vegan or plant-based athlete, they would have found me. Um, but no, we're, we're pretty uh, pretty rare, I've heard. That's, uh, I don't want to say surprising, but I would have expected more because it's not exactly like it's not a mainstream sport. Do you find there is there a like a cult of the meat protein in there or something, or it's just not on the radar? No, I, I no, I, I and you know if I if I'd look around, maybe I'd find more people that are plant based, but I can't say I have. Um, They're in the closet still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so interesting. So maybe um, I don't know. Maybe the next time. There will be more if uh, there's got to be maybe a network of ninja athletes. Is uh, so just for people who haven't seen this before. What what is it? What does well, it look like? What what does it? What do you do? I assume everyone would know, but that's true. It's really a, a misunderstood sport, and the fact that it's called American Ninja Warrior makes it sound a little childish, childish and, and then the sport, I think, where I feel, loses a little bit of its credibility. It's pretty much a an obstacle course racing sport. There's running, there's balance, there's climbing, uh, there's pulling and pushing, but basically it's a glorified obstacle course. Um, and I'll give you an example for the American Ninja Warrior course, which is the one that you see on TV. Uh, I think in 15 seasons, I think it's the 14th or 15th season, season this year, uh, there's about four people that have ever com completed it, I think, not, not even four. So uh, it's a very, very hard course. When I'm done that, uh, these trainings or these competitions, I mean, my pulse is at a maximum heart rate of 180. I, I, I can't run fast enough to bring my pulse that high. Uh, literally, it's the most excruciating, phys painful, physical uh, ordeal that I've ever been through in terms of sports. And you push yourself to your very limits um, for, for about 10 minutes. It's not a huge run, um, but it will suck the life out of you. <laughs> And you do that for fun, just to specify. <laughs> I do that for fun. I do that for fun. Yeah, people say, I mean, I don't think anyone who, run, who ran a marathon would say, I'm addicted to running. And everyone else says, how can you be addicted to something that's <laughs> that's not fun like that? But I think any athlete that's competed uh, with, with a, a, 
a room or an arena full of people uh, with the most adrenaline that you've ever felt just kind of gets hooked on that feeling for sure. That is so awesome. I uh, wish you the best for the next yeah, qualifiers. I, I trust uh, that maybe you'll be the top uh, World Ninja Warrior competitor in your 50s too. What's the age? Do you feel like you're a little bit older than most in there? Or my first few not, years. Not to say you're old. No, but... no, no, no. My first few years of comp competing was in the 16 to 39 category. That's a very wide range. I mean, don't forget that I'm a father who works with two kids, and a lot yeah, of people yeah. who are on the podiums are gym owners or they're coaches at their gym and they're training in, in massive 10,000 square foot buildings with full time. The, Pretty yeah, much. yeah, pretty much. And I, I'm working in my garage when I can. Um, basically, now that I'm in the master's category, which is 39 and over, um, I feel like I'm really with the with with the people that I'm supposed to be competing with. Because, I mean, I'm much heavier than a 16-year-old, and I'm much, uh, much more easily fatigued <laughs> than a 16-year-old. So at least right now, when I went to the World Championships, I competed in the Masters category, which is I was competing at against people my age, my fitness level, and uh, really felt like uh, I was with my people. I, I don't want to say this out loud, but I will. Maybe it's not a great thing if too many of them go plant-based because it will enhance the competition too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's keep it between us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's be careful with that. Which brings me to ask you, because exercise obviously is a really important aspect of, of lifestyle to enhance our health. Uh, there's benefits in all sorts of ways, including stress management, other than just like the purely physical aspects. And there's diet that we've talked about more, you know, making better nutritional choices. This is an impossible question for you. If you had to choose just one, not so much for your life, but as advice for people in terms of where to start, what to put their energy on, because most people don't exercise or don't have a very active lifestyle and also don't eat great, right? So if you have to start with one of those two, where would you start and why? Well, just so happens, about a few weeks ago, I actually posted a blog uh, exactly on, on this subject. It was nutrition versus exercise and which one kind of impacts longevity the most. So I'll give you just a, the, the, the basic gist of it. Um, if you're looking at someone who goes from um, four or five servings of ultra-processed foods per day and it reduces it to one, you have a 62% improvement in mortality. Just to put numbers there, okay? I'm not talking about going from a standard American diet to a whole food plant-based diet, but just, just reducing the amount of ultra-processed foods is the best bang for your buck, and that's about a 60% reduction in mortality. If you're taking someone who is at low levels of activity and you compare them to an elite athlete in terms of, and you use VO2 max, which is a marker of cardiorespiratory fitness, the difference in mortality between the lowest VO2 max and the highest is 500%. If you look at the low level of VO2 max, and the next category, which is just below average, there's about a 90% difference. So just going from being sedentary to, to getting off the couch and walking two to three times per week, maybe 20 minutes, improves mortality much more than reducing ultra-processed foods. Now, there's never been a study against going standard American diet, two whole food plant base in a hundred people and looking at that and their mortality rates, there's never going to, going to be made. But I'd say when you're looking at the impacts of nutrition versus uh, exercise for weight loss, nutrition will always win. There's no doubt there, but for longevity, exercise seems to be a bigger lever to pull. Now, that being said, exercise means simply moving your body of 20 minutes a few times a week. I'm not saying join the gym, but people sometimes they think that if they don't have time to do a 45-minute workout, they're not going to do it at all. Whereas your main benefit and the biggest bang for your buck on the chart of how you your longevity improves is you'll see your biggest bang from your buck just going from doing nothing to doing something. 
You do not need to be an elite athlete in terms of improvement of, of mortality or longevity. You simply need to do 20 minutes a few times per week. And if you're going to change one thing in your nutrition, going plant-based right on all power to you, I want everyone to be at that side of the spectrum. But just going from ultra-processed foods to less ultra-processed foods is the biggest bang for your buck in terms of, of longevity benefits. And when people start to exercise and they feel some benefits from it, I would bet that it's a bit of a virtuous circle that might start and bring in more interest in, in better eating. Do you see that? Absolutely. And I think that anyone who does anything where their health is prioritized, whether it's meditating, whether it's reading a book, whether it's engaging in, in social activities, or but, but I'd say for sure with exercise, after people exercise, rarely do we see the people say, now that I've, I've, I've worked out for an hour, I'm going to go eat at the restaurant uh, or junk food. Typically, they kind of go hand in hand. And people do build confidence and get that little dopamine rush of, I'm, I'm taking charge of my health. And then that can definitely snowball. So we do see that for sure. That's absolutely wonderful. And I am so excited that you are doing this work and nudging people one day at a time in your, in your clinic, whether those people are fellow physicians or uh, your, your patients. It is great news. And whenever I have a conversation like this, I feel hope. <laughs> this is, you know, this. I'm hopeful, yeah. Something, something is, is cooking and, uh, we will, I don't know if we'll conquer chronic disease in my lifetime, but certainly I think, uh, there's definitely improvements on the way you feel optimistic as well. Oh, absolutely. I just see the uptake and, and, and open-mindedness in my, in my surroundings. Um, and when I thought that 50 people were going to read my blog, uh, two years ago and, and I saw a thousand read it. I was like, Oh my, Oh my goodness. I mean, at least it's reaching uh, some people and it ended up reaching a lot more people than I thought. That's absolutely wonderful. Please, please, please keep it up. And how again, can people connect with you and, uh, learn more from you? Well, my, the main social media account where I post most of my content is actually on my Facebook page, where is a doctor, plant-based Dr. Jules on Facebook. Uh, I, my Instagram handle is plant-based underscore doctor underscore Jules. And <laughs> it's a mouthful. And my, uh, and my website, plantbaseddrjules.com. I strongly encourage everyone to connect with you, to subscribe to new, your newsletter, to make sure not to miss any of your posts. And uh, I wish you the best with the upcoming course. I think that will be an awesome tool to help more people enjoy their lives to the fullest. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for sharing your platform so I can spread my message. That's wonderful. Thank you.